Hello and welcome to the IOD Governance and Policy Units podcast. In our last episode of the Director's Briefing, we looked at some of the nearer term concerns of businesses and what the forthcoming budget needs to do to help them. Now we're going to look further ahead at some of the long-term issues facing the economy. My name is Joe Fitzsimon, Senior Policy Advisor at the IOD, and I'm joined by our Chief Economist, Tej Perik. Welcome, Tej. So Tej, could you give us an overview of the types of issues that are likely to impact businesses and the economy during the recovery? Hi there, Joe. Sure. Um, It's a perfectly good time now to be thinking about long-term issues. Um, Firstly, uh, the IOD just published its uh, submission to the Treasury for the budget. Um, And there's a number of coverage there in the media, across the Telegraph, the Times and Bloomberg. Um, And also, it's a really good time to be thinking about long-term issues because, as we know, the government have been thinking about how do we refresh the industrial strategy. And today uh, we saw news in the Financial Times that actually this this grand refresh of the industrial strategy isn't going to take place and there's going to be this new uh, plan for growth, which is going to be a treasury-led project and a number of ministries are going to get involved in that. Um, so it's it's the right time to be thinking about long-term issues. Now, as you mentioned last time, we spoke about the need for businesses to manage their cash flow, to rescale and to adjust and to invest in technology to help them to adapt to whatever the post-pandemic economy looks like. And we discuss a little bit about how the government and and the budget can can help them do that. Um, This time, the factors that would be important to look at are things that can act as a ceiling on our recovery. Um, And so, you know, talking directly to those longer term things affecting the economy, um, I think it really falls into uh, the the so-called business environment. And I think there are three areas. Uh, The first is uh, skills. The second is the levelling up agenda and regional growth. And and the third is our infrastructure. So both the roads, rail, um, and also our digital infrastructure, of course. Um, Now, Joe, uh, you've been following the skills agenda pretty closely. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a number of uh, key kind of considerations at the moment uh, on skills specifically. The first one is around sort of digital economy, um, which has been accelerated as a result, a direct result of the pandemic. And the second is uh, that some changes to business models are as a result of the pandemic. And, 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 and really the third is around how business models are changing anyway due to, to ongoing technological change. And taken together, really what it means is that lifelong learning, reskilling and retraining, they're more important now than than they ever have been. It sounds like that will be very crucial for our recovery and our and our adjustment as well. Um, what does this mean for, for policy? How prepared are we for, for all these changes in terms of the government support? Yeah, well, there, there's quite a lot of work, um, the ongoing work and quite a lot of work that, that needs to be done here. Um, when we think about the future of the workforce specifically, there are, I suppose, two key issues that, that stand out. 
The first is around developing the future of the workforce. Employers have long highlighted a range of skills gaps within the workforce. Um, uh, there are significant gaps relating to sort of leadership and management, but also digital skills. And we know that these are particularly important to organizations as they look to adapt to those new business models and implement new structures and processes within their own organizations. So it sounds like there's, there's a lot of bases for, for policymakers to cover. Um, and I know many of the measures have already been outlined in in the government's plan for jobs, which they put out last year. Has this created a bit of a complicated skills landscape? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's sort of a, an unfortunate consequence of, of, of a number of new developments is, is a bit more complexity to navigate really and for, for, for businesses and, and managers and uh, directors and leaders to, to understand. Um, there's a range of really great incentives that uh, employers can engage with from the apprenticeship uh, levy to apprenticeships to uh, new level three lifetime skills guarantee and there's other important developments like t levels and the kickstart scheme um, which we've been uh, closely engaged with for some time now the challenge for employers is as i say sort of around understanding how all of these programs and initiatives work together and what is the best fit for a, a particular organization's skills needs. It's it's not always very clear where an organization should start, um, and it's not always uh, immediately clear how one initiative works with another. Um, whether you could take a young person on, um, for for one scheme, for example, the kickstart start, and how exactly that works interfaces with apprenticeships. So that's a real challenge for for members at the moment. And I suppose the other, the other key thing here is around the, as, as the power of sort of AI and machine learning becomes clearer and organizations are looking to harness new technologies like these, the shape and, and skills requirements of the future of the workforce are, are of course, um, changing and, and very important. And it's important for the education sector to continue engaging with employers and the government on, on these needs and to reflect the necessary changes within curriculum at all levels. And we have seen um, sort of a, a move towards a, a more employer-led system with, with more employer engagement there. I suppose specifically on apprenticeships, uh, one of our key asks in our, in our budget submission is around extending the incentive scheme, which is due to end in March, um, but also to make the incentive payment payable at, at a very early stage in recruiting the apprentice and, and to assist um, SMEs particularly with cash flow in that regard to, to further support them in, uh, in, in, in recruiting apprentices and, and engaging. Um, and also to see the range of courses under the levy uh, to be widened and, and extended. Um, and that increased range would, would support organizations uh, moving forward. A big part of all this, of course, is ensuring that, that the skills are improved across the country. And I suppose that feeds very much into the levelling up agenda. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a number of components to to the levelling up agenda. And as we all know, this this was a, a big um, project for, for Boris Johnson um, in 2019. And it's been upended somewhat uh, by the pandemic. Um, I think the first key pillar of levelling up is devolution. Um, so this means 
policy making taking place at a local level and we've seen how this has been used i suppose this year in in the pandemic and through the tiering system and the way in which local authorities have been playing an increasingly important role in in supporting local economies so i think there needs to be a better understanding of how the government plans to devolve power from from london and the southeast to to other parts of england and and the uk more generally and also whether the funding will will go with it at the same time we know that um some local areas do have access to for example retained business rates revenues which they can then utilize locally but it's important that if more decision making is brought down to the local level then also the money needs to follow at the same time i think the other key pillar of leveling up should be looking at how do we harness the the specializations or the expertise uh, in our regions and nations and what's very interesting about the uk compared to our peer nations is that london really does dominate and our second and third cities don't really compete as much as second and third cities um you know if you like in the us and across europe particularly germany do um and so how do we kind of ensure that we invest in our regional areas and to build new regional hubs and cities across the uk and i think a big element of this and a big kind of advantage that the uk has um is its universities now the uk has a lot of specialisms and research specialisms dotted around the country and and we're actually kind of very lucky that we have um world class universities almost in in all our regions and i think there's a real scope to to utilize that kind of distribution of universities um and actually invest in them and actually help them connect more to the local business communities um and i mean a, a big reason why this is important is you know essentially the uk does the the r element of r&d very well it's very good at research but the the development the d side of things um is pretty weak and we need to connect businesses and local our local communities better with the research in um in universities and with with our experts so that they can be commercialized better and i think that will be a big element of supporting regional specialisms and growth i think the other pillar would be looking at how we can incentivize business growth across the country so often because of the draw of london the southeast there can be considered a, a somewhat uh, a market failure in that funding and investor activity is often concentrated uh, in the south of england and obviously businesses startups etc across the country then face lower levels of supply in terms of finance and have difficulties accessing finance and i think obviously through the british business bank there's an opportunity to try and 
disperse more funding across the UK to support businesses. But I think there's also an interesting role to look at um, based on this idea of enterprise zones in the UK, which offer special rates to support businesses to invest or to they get reliefs if they invest in certain technologies, then I think there is an opportunity to think about this uh, for the UK more generally and how we can drive up investment in different parts of the UK through through incentives. Sure. Great. And and I guess it sounds like connecting the people, places and ideas together that will drive economic growth will also be important. What does the UK need to do there? Yeah, you're right. Um, economists like to think of infrastructure as, you know, essentially the arteries and the veins of the economy. I mean, it, it determines how quickly and efficiently uh, people, businesses and ideas can uh, connect and, and therefore drive economic activity. Um, the first thing to say is really that the UK has underinvested relative to other developed nations. I mean, if we look at the World Economic Forum's Global Competitiveness Index, we lag behind um, in terms of road, rail, connectivity and quality. And I mean, when, when it comes to broadband connectivity, which I think is measured mainly by the number of fibre internet subscriptions, we even lag behind some developing nations. So, you know, ultimately, we need to be investing in both our physical and, and our digital infrastructure. And I think part of this is because, I mean, everyone knows there's always been this kind of challenge with investing in these big projects. And if we can find ways to free up long-term investments from institutional investors to, to support investments in our road, rail and digital infrastructure, then I think that would be the best way forward. And I think particularly at a time like now, we've, we've seen that as a result of coronavirus and a lot of people working from home, uh, just how important, particularly internet access and you know strong broadband connections are to support regional economies. And I think you know this is going to be an important trend um, in supporting the leveling up of the UK more generally. We've already started to see a bit of a trend emerging. I think when lockdown first ended last year, there was a surge in demand for properties outside of London and the southeast. Um, and, and this is kind of this trend towards where people are considering moving out further away from London and looking at buying property elsewhere if remote working becomes an increasingly bigger part of of our daily lives. And I think if we can boost uh, connectivity through through internet speeds at the same time as this trend is taking place, then there's a real opportunity and a real dividend here for regional economies, uh, which can redevelop and regrow as, as people, as populations increase and more economic activity comes comes in. So I think there are a number of considerations there for, for the government on levelling up. Great. Well, thank you very much, Tej. It's been great diving into the longer term factors impacting the UK's 
recovery and competitiveness. Uh, and thank you to you at home for joining us today for this episode of the Director's Briefing. We'll be back again very soon with further updates and insights. Thank <music> you.